Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, back to school season. Classes in session. It's time for Word Balloon 101. Okay, back at our halls. Uh, man, I'll tell you, this uh, one conference hall probably needs a little polishing. Got to talk to the uh, janitorial staff about that. But anyway, we are here today to discuss romance literature. This is a great panel from Terrificon. I didn't do it. Paul Kupperberg interviews Barbara Freelander. Now, Barbara was a writer and editor at DC Comics from 1964 to 1969. She talks about her career, lots of background information about DC in the Silver Age, and she dishes in a really good way. But um, we talk about the romance line because Barbara wrote for it and she edited it. She also worked on Swing with Scooter and uh, was involved with that, but mostly it's all about the DC romance line. Now, I'm in the audience, and you will hear me ask a couple questions, but, uh, you know, I I always think that the uh, DC romance years is one of the neglected eras of DC. Amazing artists, real attention to the fashions of the day, and, uh, yeah, you know, they're kind of hokey stories, and even Barbara kind of in her own way, I think, uh, basically says they were silly little stories, but in a great way. They were fun. And, my God, amazing artists and some artists that don't normally come up in conversation are uh, name-checked in this great discussion. Also some great letterers as well. So, you know, this is cool. This is really great Silver Age history uh, from a lovely woman that was part of it. Barbara Freelander talks to Paul Kupperberg about DC's romance comics of the 1960s today on Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, very much for your support. Uh, you help me get to conventions. You help me update my equipment. And uh, I'm trying to uh, put out even more content than normal. And I thank you. It's uh, in part because of the Word Balloon subscribers via Patreon. If you'd like to help out, if you can afford it, if you think what I do here at Word Balloon every month is, uh, you know, is it worth the price of a comic? Is it worth a dollar a month? If you think so, join the League of Word Balloon listeners. You can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon, or you can go to wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad. But I thank you very much for your support. League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Now, there are a lot of great collections of romance stuff at InStock Trades. What I don't see, and frankly, I don't think DC has uh, you know, thought about releasing any of their uh, romance stuff. But uh, regardless, if you want to uh, take a look at the genre, you can go back to the beginning and get uh, Young Romance, The Best of Simon and Kirby, uh, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Volume 1 is 30% off. It's $20.99. That's the same price for Volume 2. And uh, we do uh, briefly mention in the lecture that uh, Simon and Kirby were the first to uh, do the romance comics. You can also get things like uh, Torrid Romance, Wally Wood, pretty neat stuff. Uh, this is 50% off, $19.97. Then even a vintage romance comic book covers coloring book from IDW. Pretty neat stuff. And uh, perfect for coloring, man. You know, I'm coloring now, and it is so soothing. I highly recommend it. If you want an easy way to chill out, and I learned this from uh, my artist buddies like uh, Art Balthazar and Franco and Scoot McMahon, uh, if you color... Uh, It is very soothing, and it really is. You can really just kind of relax and de-stress. So I recommend Vintage Romance Comic Book Covers Coloring Book. 30% off, $6.99. Just some of the great stuff you can find at InStockTrades.com. Check it out. You'll find amazing books at great prices. And don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. 
They've been faithful sponsors of Word Balloon all these years, and I thank them for their support. InStockTrades.com. All right, take your seats. Let's get started. This was the actual first panel at Terrificon uh, the Friday evening. It started at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time, and I was so excited to be there. I was wiped out from flying in uh, early afternoon and probably would have liked a couple more hours sleep, but I really wanted to be there for Paul Kupperberg to interview Barbara Freelander about the DC romance comics of the 1960s. Here's that conversation now on Word Balloon. Hello. Uh, welcome to the first panel of Terrificon, and thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Paul Kupperberg. I've been a writer and editor in comics for, for a while, and um, our guest is Barbara Friedlander, who is also a writer and editor in comics. But, um, thank you. But uh, uh, back, uh, when did you start at D.C.? In I started at, in D.C. at about 64. 63, actually. Right. I, I just remember the date on the back of my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and you went to work as, uh, did you go on staff as Jack, Jack Miller's assistant, or did you start Eventually, as a freelancer? Eventually, I landed as Jack Miller's assistant. However, I started out in the clerical department. Oh, which is not a place where people start who want to be writers. However, if you have talent, and I'm, I was lucky, they, they noticed I had talent, and they sort of let me do freelance work for romance books. And I was very, very lucky to be promoted. I had uh, my freelance stuff was something that they liked, and Jack Miller mentored me, and I became his associate editor. And I have in the back of my shirt uh, a funny caricature that he did of me. It shows all of the staff of DC. And let me just get myself up. If you can see it, great. If not, you can come and look at my lookbook. You can see there's the goddess of love. It's really not me. <laughs> but I was so shocked. I have the original hanging in my office at home. Uh, and that's how I started. I started actually taking subscriptions for comic books. So I know the, the route from the ground up. That's the way to learn the business. You know, If you don't know what, uh, what supports it, it, it's hard to... To right. know what kind of books to do, and and you were, well, you started working in the, um, uh, I, well, Mil uh, Jack Miller was doing romance and Jack uh, was humor. doing uh, humor romance. He was able to do superhero stuff. I could not because I never read the superheroes that you love, but I did know a little bit about love, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I tried to put most of my emphasis on love. However. Uh, as time went on, we tried to reach out to Archie Comics and do a similar thing. We did Swing with Scooter, which lasted a number of uh, uh, comics, and I wor worked for a couple of other people as well. You, um, uh, you were there, I was just talking to Roy Thomas earlier, and, and he said that uh, you don't remember this, and he barely does, but that you two shared an office for about a week before Mort Weisinger drove him out in, in uh, despair Mort and he went to work was, for, yeah. for Marvel. Mort, Mort Weisinger was notorious. For Mort was the Superman, the editor of the Superman line. He, and was, he was treacherous. He was, uh, well, I, uh, 
He just was not a nice person, and he could drive any creative person crazy. Just to give you an example, Julie Schwartz, who was his best friend, another editor at DC in those days, uh, they'd been friends since uh, high school. Um, after Mort died, Julie said, you know what they're going to put on Mort's tombstone? And I said, no, Julie, what? Because I'm a good straight man. <laughs> and Julie said, here lies Mort Weisinger, and lies and lies. And that's his best friend. So It's, it's true. It's true. I, I worked in an office with E. Nelson Bridwell. Who I love Nelson. I loved Nelson. He was the most wonderful um, he was an expert on Batman, Superman. He knew everything. The Bible, Shakespeare. He was there for everything, and he was so serious about it. Yeah. And he, he loved it, and he was so tortured by Mort. He really was. It was so unfair. Yeah. It was cruel. But uh, Julie was, a ni- was much nicer, much nicer. So I worked with, in the office with Jack Miller, E. Nelson Bridwell. I don't know what the E stands for, do you? Um, I, I, Edward, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, also Carmine Infantino. Do you, you all know Carmine. He was a very tall, commanding kind of guy. Crusty. <laughs> well, he was, couldn't, people didn't want to be crusty to me. I was lucky. <laughs> well, you were, you were kind of a rarity in, 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 the, uh, in the comic book industry in those days, a woman in editorial. That's um, true. It's yeah. absolutely true. And a lot of, I never said this in any interviews, but I'm going to tell you, because you are comic book aficionados, uh, a lot of people didn't like the idea that I was a woman in comic books. It was difficult. The artists were not necessarily on my side because I liked certain artists and I didn't want to necessarily give a lot of them their work. Their, so they resented me for that. But I, uh, my favorites were Tony Abruzzo. Do you know Tony? Mm-hmm. Terrific. And uh, Scott, Scott Pike, who were wonderful. I, I worked with other people too, but I loved those particular men because I thought they hit exactly what girls were looking for. Beautiful men, gorgeous ladies, and a situation maybe they could get themselves into and in the end have happiness, flowers, and joy forever. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a formula to those things. And, uh, yes. But there, were, there, were a, a, there was an incredible roster of artists on those books in those days. I mean, uh, Gene Colan and, and, yes. and uh, John Ramita uh, Sr. and uh, yes. uh, J. Scott Pike, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were just... Um, and a lot of them were working at Marvel simultaneously under pseudonyms. Was that an open secret? Did like everybody know that while Gene Colan was drawing romance comics, he was also doing Submariner for Stan? Uh, you couldn't sort of jump ship, so it was an open An secret. open secret. Yeah. If you got somebody who was a real meanie and didn't want you to do the work, they, they yeah. were ratting on you. I mean, it's like any other business that you go into. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, you know, the thing you said about men resenting you, the men resenting you, that hasn't changed in this business, no. unfortunately. No, it's, it hasn't. Um, you hear it from women, and, and I worked in D.C.'s offices for 16 years, and I saw many things, um, mm. and, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of stuff that came out in the news in the last couple of years was not a surprise, 
What is a surprise is some of the news that hasn't come out yet. But um, <laughs> but um, right. I, I don't know what what do you think is is what what's our problem? What, why why do guys have such a problem? I mean, you know, well, the, I think that they then they seem to think of women as appendages that can do certain skills. That's what they thought of mm-hmm. then. And it's true. I, I succumbed to that. I, in the end, I could have stayed at D.C. They really wanted me to stay, but I left because I wanted to get married, just like the heroes and heroines in my book. I was an idiot. Uh, because that's what the, the uh, time demanded. By 1969, I was married. Uh, so I think that men seem to think of women in certain roles, and when they lift themselves up, it's, you know, they get pushed down a little bit. So you have to really get up there and show them your stuff. And if you can do it without a chip on your shoulder, that's pretty difficult. Yeah. Pretty difficult. Well, and uh, you were in the, the, the romance... Uh, Romance comics are not a big thing anymore, you know. I published. I, uh, I, I let me oh, just please. Um, who here saw the the movie with the fish? What was the sound of water? Shape of water. Isn't that a love story? Isn't that a gorgeous love story? So, don't tell me. Yeah, no, I, I just, um, but in comic books. No, in know, comic the, books it could never. We, uh, uh, I have a small comic book uh, press with some friends we publish our own stuff and mm-hmm. I did uh, two issues of a romance comic uh, uh, True Romances oh, and um, uh, a Secret Romance excuse me and it was a lot of fun it was kind of postmodernistic. you know the, my, my slogan was uh, happily ever after isn't what it used to be no <laughs> um, but um, you know it's still it's a hard sell I, I actually pitched it to DC and Dark Horse and a whole bunch of companies and their response to me was, well, nobody's doing, uh, romance comics don't sell. No, but nobody's doing romance comics. So how do you know? I don't know if we hit the right audience yet. It, think of yourselves as going to buy a romance book. How many here would go and buy a romance book? Anybody in this audience? Besides my, oh, <laughs> two. Okay. I know the, the boys over there wouldn't do it, but girls today are into hockey and baseball. And, As well they should. And but, uh, you know, I don't, they may not have time for that. They're so scheduled. I grew up in the era where the only way they got me to play with a doll was to call a G.I. Joe, call it an action <laughs> figure, and stick a gun in it. Right, right. But I was exactly. still playing with a doll. And, you know, I've grown up to a state where when my son, who was born in 1996 wanted a doll, it was like, okay, fine, he can have a doll. That's no big deal. What, you know, it, it, in fact, I didn't get him a gun. I didn't want him to, to have a toy A gun. lot of people did not. So, you know, but, so I don't, you know, uh, I guess I, I just kind of, you know, I'm an old 60s lefty and I'm just always hoping for the, uh, you know, that we will, we will have that kum, kumbaya, kumbaya moment. moment. And, you know, it's like, no, it's okay. You can, you can play with dolls. You can, you can read superhero comics. It's for everybody. It's not just yeah, I, I agree a, with a you. gender I, thing. I would like to think, I would love to be able to write a modern comic book. I really would, and I would do it like The Shape of Water or, am I saying that right? Yeah. Okay. I would do it quite like that because um, a little bit out of uh, 
reality. But reality is a very strange thing right now. So it's difficult to say what will sell. I, I have to agree with you. Yeah. What, what's going to sell and what's not going to sell. The, the most important thing is distribution. And that yeah. I did learn at DC yeah. because they had their own distribution. So that's a very important thing is to where you can bring your books to sell and put them in, on display. Right. They're not, they're not out there for popular consumption anymore. They're yeah. a specialty item. You have, to, mm-hmm. you have to go to a specialty store to find them. Really? For the, yeah, yeah. You, you, can't, you don't walk into a candy store or a drugstore and see a comic spinner rack anymore. You know, that, those have been gone for decades. Yeah. Um, you, you're right. Yeah. You're right. So, it's, you know, so people, only people looking for comic books are going to buy comic books. So. I agree. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway... Um, so, again, I mentioned some of the artists you worked with, uh, mm-hmm. um, and, and I know the people on staff, you know, I know, I know a lot of the people who were there, Saul Harrison and Jack Adler. And Saul was wonderful. <laughs> he was a wonderful character. I loved him. He was a great character, although I will relate to you something he once said to me, which was, I didn't care for your brother, and I'm not crazy about you either. So... <laughs> well, Saul could do that. Yeah, no, I know. Saul could do that. He was very outspoken and very into everything. Yeah. Every department, everything. He was the production manager at DC Comics, mm-hmm. and he and uh, a guy named Jack Adler, who was a production genius, um, most of the special effects you saw on in comic books, you know, the wash covers, or you remember the, the 25th anniversary uh, uh, statue of Superman on the cover of the 80-page uh, giant? That wasn't silver printed. That was done. That was a, a, a process that Jack was able to get through, yeah. you know, to figure out. Yes. Um, and these guys ran the production department, and there were brilliant people working there. Joe Letterese. Oh God, they were. Um, um, Walter Herlicheck, yeah. I remember. Yeah, Walter and, and all these people mm-hmm. were there, and they just did that work. They did it so meticulously. I, I have to tell you a funny story. I really don't type well. I'm a lousy typer, uh, and I. Uh, I must have been dyslexic or something, but I used I used the word yacht in my um, book. One of my books, I had a story, a continuing drama, and I spelled yacht yach every single time. <laughs> I stopped correcting it because they corrected it for me. They laughed at me. That's what Gerda was there for. Uh, well, Gerda was in the in the cl- clerical, but Gerda was everywhere. Gerda was one. There was a little German woman named Goethe Cattell. Yeah, she lived she through was the a Holocaust. Sweetheart. Yeah, she was the sweetest woman. I mean, she was the librarian at one point. She was the proofreader. She was working she, in, in she subscriptions. Could do anything. She did everything. Yeah. She could do it. When I was there, she was, uh, I think, Mr. Donenfeld's secretary. That could be. Yeah. Yeah, she was that. But she was so uh, capable; she could have done anything. Yeah, yeah. Really. very, very nice woman. It was, it was a, a, an amazing place. I was lucky enough to. Uh, I went up there the first time in 1968. They used to give tours, weekly tours. You could go up. Walter gave. Walter gave. Mm-hmm. I, although the the first one I went on, Walter must have been out because Sal gave it. Oh. <laughs> but um, um, and I met Len Wein and Marv Wolfman. They were they were also taking the um, uh, the tour. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they were still fans. Um, but, um, uh, but there was amazing people up there. They, they just, there was, you know, just uh, a bunch of them were still there, you know, um, um, uh, uh, more, um, I'm sorry, I'm back on the thing. 
the letterer, Milton, Milt Snappen. Oh, God, he was wonderful, Milt Snappen. Yeah. He was ancient. You're talking about the ancient? I'm talking about the ancient Milt Snappen. Yeah, oh, God, he was wonderful. <laughs> he had worked on silent movie posters. Do you know that? Yeah. He was so good at what he did, and he could tell you stories that you, they had to push you out of the, the production room because he was just... You look at this little man, you never know what, you know, you don't know what people have lived through. And he lived through a lot. New creative people. He was wonderful. There was, um, and of course I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but uh, around the um, post office building uh, in New York City. 909 Well, no, I'm talking about the post office building in in 30. Oh, yeah, yes. Um, The the inscription, neither rain nor sleep, or whatever it says, the the stone inscription around. Stop this. That was a DC. Com- that guy became a DC Comics letterer. Um, it's not Joe Letterese. It was. Um, um, I can't think of. I'm blanking on his name, and that's a shame because he was brilliant. Brilliant letter. He did. He did all of DC's advertising and display lettering and the cover lettering and all that because he just, you know, he was, he, he was just so spot precise. on. But this guy went from you know designing important architectural uh, features to. Um, the comic books. It was. They were um, a creative people. Yeah. Very very creative people. Yeah. And if you have that within you, use it. Don't let it die. Use it. Really. Even if you're planning a birthday party, just go out there and use it. Make somebody happy. That's the way to do it. There's art in everything. Mm -hmm. There's there's a show about uh, these these barn builders. They take down old barns. And there's a guy, there's this scrawny little guy who runs the, the forklift. And it's like, you know, watch this guy dismantle a barn with this forklift and just take these timbers apart. And you go, you know what? I don't care that he's driving a forklift. This guy is an artist. <laughs> you know, he's doing, he's right. doing a work Everybody of art. Everybody has art yeah. in them. They so, just have to use it. And, and speaking of art, um, I want to talk a little about uh, Swingwood Scooter. Ah, yeah. Because um, Swingwood Scooter was a, um, was a teen comic um, that uh, debuted in, what, 65, 66? Um, around that time, yeah. yeah. Um, and Scooter was obviously, uh, you know, there, there was... Here, the, there, here this there, is the first page, the first. They were, uh, you're obviously playing off of um, Paul McCartney and the Beatles. Yes, <laughs> which uh, after the first couple of issues sort of got played yeah. down. Yeah. But we were... Obviously, who does this look like? Archie, a little bit, a cousin of Archie. Yeah. But it was a slightly more realistic style than, yeah. than the than the Stan oh, Goldberg. Thank you. Um, um, I wrote that. I, I know mm-hmm. that. This is why I bring it up. You you uh, wrote and co-created it with uh, Jack Miller. Yes, yes. And you had working for like the first two years. The incredible Joe Orlando. Oh God, I love Joe. I'm sure if if you don't know the name Joe Orlando, you should. You should look it up. Joe was a Google. brilliant artist and my favorite evil imp in the world. He was wonderful. <laughs> he was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. He married a friend of mine. Oh, okay. He did. Wasn't happy. But he <laughs> she had, wasn't or he wasn't. <laughs> he, he had one son that I know of. Mm-hmm. And he adored that son, yes. I... I I worked with Joe several times. He was my editor on, on several projects and my yeah. boss for for a little bit. Um, and, and I loved him. He was, if if he if he started on you, if he went after you, he could be merciless. But if you were in on the joke, it was hysterical and you were his best friend. It was evil, it was wrong, 
but Joe just did that. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm going to tell you a story, and this story is going to appear in Alter, alter Ego. Um, I have to tell it because uh, when Joe Orlando drew for Mad Magazine, they had, and if you have any of those old issues, it's wonderful to look at because he was so creative. However, uh, they every year Mad Magazine took a trip someplace. And one year they had one uh, person who subscribed to them in Haiti. So they decided they would all go to Haiti to get this kid to sign up. And they went to Haiti, and that was the time when Papa Doc Duvalier was there. Do you remember him? He was not a very nice man. People were scared of him. And... Uh, make a long story short, Joe and a couple of his friends were riding in a taxi and also uh, all of a sudden the Tom Tom Makut, is that what you mm -hmm. Jumped out, stopped the cab, opened the back of the, the trunk, pulled out Joe and everybody else and in the back were all these pamphlets uh, against the Papa Doc. And they never saw the driver again. They were asked to leave the country and they couldn't get out of there fast enough. But that, that was a Joe Orlando story. He was very proud of that <laughs> I would have been scared out of my mind, and I'm sure he was. I'm too. sure he was. But, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, there was um, something that, that has, fans have been curious about for a long time, and I don't know if you can answer it. There were about three months, there were different house ads uh, running for Scooter, and it, was, uh, it shared, I think, with Dead Man. Uh, no. Yeah, no. It, but, it, yeah it, but it was advertised as being in Showcase. I have As, no yeah. idea why, okay. because I had no control over distribution or advertising. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but it, it originally, it looked like it was supposed to um, uh, debut as a, as a feature and showcase, you know, like a three-issue thing. I, I, and I don't think it ever did. No, it didn't. It switched because I instead. Have other, I have other issues here, and I can tell you it No, didn't. no, I know it didn't, but that was the question. There was like three months' worth of house ads, I and then suddenly the number been. one came out instead of showcase number, you know, 60, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Maybe okay. they were saving money. They often, they often did that. They often scared people to death because they were, they started, they were this little company. This was not taken over yet by Warner. Time Warner. Right. So they would scare people on, on a regular basis. If you don't do this, you don't do that, you're not doing it the way we like it, you're out. And that was not, you know, a good way to live under the gun. I don't know if it was like that when you were there. No, it wasn't when I was there. I hear it's like that again. Well, I can believe that but, because uh, there are so many creative people. That well, it's not usually the really creative ones who get to drive the bus. It's usually the bosses of the really creative ones who try to drive the bus. And there are a lot of bus accidents. <laughs> um, Agreed. Anyway, uh, so, um, um, yeah, so, yeah, Joe had, um, he was a brilliant science fiction and mystery and, and horror or, uh, artist. And, and mm -hmm. he'd just been doing, he did Inferior 5 first, Nelson's. Um, he did. I have yeah. a copy of Inferior yeah. 5. It's very hard to find Inferior 5. Yeah, it is. Jack uh, Miller and, uh, oh, maybe I won't find it. I don't know. It's here. But, yeah, that was written by Nelson and drawn. It was a kind of, a, it was a superhero parody. Yeah. They had... Um, Inferior Five. You know, they had Awkward Man and White I Feather. I think Joe drew this one. He did. Uh, yeah, that's Joe's. Yeah. 
he drew this. And then I think Sikowski took it over when yeah. he left. And mm -hmm. um, do you work a lot with Mike Sikowski? I, ha I don't recall working with him. I know uh, Jack worked with a lot more people mm -hmm. than I did. Yeah, it's interesting because Sikowski is one of those people that I don't think there's a lot known about him uh, in, in fandom. He's, he's like one of these mm -hmm. kind of, you know, you hear all these kind of stories about him. I've seen some pictures of him. You know, he looked like a really rough guy with rolled up sleeves and, and uh, yeah. you know, drawing, uh, drawing a, a semi-nude model or something like that. Yeah, yeah there, there were, there were uh, John Broom is the name I remember. Yeah. He worked uh, for Julie mostly. Yeah. yeah, he was a great friend of Jack Miller's. Um, there are a lot of people, you know, that are floating around in the back of my sure. mind that I cannot remember. But uh, I, I have to tell you, uh, going back to what you said originally, I had I had never felt uh, really. I was scared all the time when I was working there. I have to tell you, because of that uh, policy of, you know, you have to be at your best all the time. Uh, but I never felt uh, uh, intimidated by anyone really. I mean, except for the artists occasionally that would, you know voice their opinions. They but, try that with male editors, too. Yeah. I, I never felt that way. I, I always felt comfortable and very safe being at D.C. So why did I leave? <laughs> <laughs> to get married. Yeah, to get married. I, I can tell you something very interesting. I know how much they wanted me to stay because they sent me for a weekend to Sheldon Mayer. Wow. Sugar and Spike. Anybody ever read Sugar and Adorable? Absolutely the cutest. And uh, I spent the weekend and I dragged my mother with me because they said you could bring your mother. So I did. And it was really an informative, wonderful weekend. He had very bad eyes. And then finally he had an operation which allowed him to really work again. Yeah. He used to, he, he had a work real he had to give up cartooning for a while because of yes, yes. but uh, I have about 120 pages of Sugar and Spike oh, comics oh. Uh, Xeroxes of those that were mostly published overseas so didn't get published in this country oh. um, but uh, and also his, his granddaughter is around and she's, she's been oh she yeah yeah she's been working on on you know mm -hmm. on on uh, Help and bring him, bring him back because yeah, oh, people remember. Him I because think he's that a, was the most adorable thing. Yeah. I think that could play yeah. well. Well, and besides Sugar and Spike, and besides Scribbly, which he did in the forties, which mm -hmm. was a, a comic strip about a boy a, cartoonist, much like himself. And it, wasn't it about a dog also? Scribbly? Mm -hmm. yeah, no, there was a, there was Ma Hunkle in the Red Tornado. Oh, okay. Um, For uh, my time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. Um, but he was also the editor, uh, he was like 18 years, 19 years old when he was the editor of DC in 1938 mm -hmm. when he you know, got Siegel and Schuster's Superman and went to the bosses and said, hey, we should publish this. So, you know, this guy, and through the 1970s and uh, maybe even to the early 80s, he was still consulting at DC. They were still after him yep. for his advice and opinion they, about they, how to do things. They re respected him. He was a brilliant writer. Yeah, he, was, um, he was wonderful. He was doing state-of-the-art superhero comics in, you know, in 1968 mm -hmm. when none of the other guys from the 1940s could, could match you know, yeah, that level. That's true. It's pretty that's incredible. True. Yeah. Um, um, Scooter and the other teen humor books, they were all done, like I said, in, in a slightly more realistic style yes. than, the, than the Archie stuff. But after about, in 1968, 
everything suddenly switched over to the Stan Goldberg and you know, uh, um, yeah. Was that like a, a certain? I think what happened was, and I didn't bring an example of it, but I'm going to show you this cover. This is a very, very pretty cover. It's one of the artists that I said. It's either Scott Pike or Tony Abruzzo. It's a very, very beautiful cover. Uh, what they did was, uh, when I think when Carmine came aboard, they started to make women have muscles, and which, which is a good thing, but they, they also had edgy faces. And they were not exactly female females. They were more, they had a, a tone of masculinity. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but it was not part of my philosophy. No of doing things. Um, and that was after I left, you know. I, I had a certain style or whatever of doing things. They had their own style that worked for them. What worked for me, everybody is entitled, right? Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah. It's, um, so you, were, you, you weren't involved in, the, in, in that when the, the, the style switched over? Because they, they, uh, they, you know, they had, used to do like, it used to be like book-length stories and, and... I did, and, I did several uh, uh, chapter stories, right. which I love doing because I used to love soap operas. So well, I was, was going to get to that. In the, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I love doing that and I used to watch it with my friends, you know, soap operas, As the World Turns. The Edge of Night, all the good ones. So I thought girls would like that too, and they ran for quite a while. So I'm sure girls did like yeah. it. Well, there was in Secret Hearts and Heartthrobs. Yes. You you did the Reach for Happiness, which was uh, Jack Miller and Gene Colan, mm -hmm. and Three Girls, mm -hmm. which you their did lives, with J. Lives. Scott Pike. Right. And um, and uh, I, you just said what motivated them. You just thought that would be a that's what I did, yes. Also, I loved old movies. Yeah. So I was a big fan of old movies. And I try, I think I tried to put a little of that into the stories. Because Gene often never heard anything. Right. <laughs> little Betty. Did, I, um, Bob Kaniger, was, was he doing the romance books at that time, or was that uh, later? No, that was later. Okay, because he was, he, was he was editing the war comics yes, with, with Joe Kubert. Yes, mostly Kubrick. the war comics. Right, yes. but later on, he, I think he took over the edit, editing the, um, um, oh, well, the, I, the, I the just, romance books. I think uh, and, and Joe just, Orlando did, too. Joe Orlando. It could be Joe and Bob. Yeah. I, when I left and I was doing a little freelance work, they, uh, I had to submit stuff to Joe. Mm -hmm. And I sat down and he said to me, Barbara, we don't do, now you have to do a whole outline. You know, mm -hmm. and it's hard to work with a complete outline. But that's the way they wanted it. So. Yeah. So uh, these. Uh, um. Oh, I can tell you something funny that Saul Please do. Harrison told me. In uh, one of these serial things, the, um, the lettering department, it was called Reach for Happiness, and they called it Reach for Penis, <laughs> which they thought was very... What do you have on Reach for a Penis? <laughs> there, there was a lot of profanity in the production department. Yes, so. there, there had to be. My God, they had to have some humor in what they were doing. 
And you were not allowed to use the word flicker because it would bleed into... Or the name Clint. Right. You couldn't use that. But could almost use anything else. Stan Lee got away with it, and, and he had uh, a character yeah. in the city. He named him Clint, and he got away with it. But uh, Because but it until, maybe didn't bleed. Yeah, well, until printing got better in the 90s, you know. Now anything goes. I, I can remember, speaking of printing, they had, during uh, the time I was there, they changed the size of the boards. Yes, they went from twice up to, to one and a half times up. Right, and they also took us, the whole staff, on a bus trip someplace. Uh, and it was to a lettering thing. They were going to get rid of all the letters, and they were going to do le lettering. This was going to be like typeset lettering. Do you remember that? The, uh, Charlton Comics. Would, you, they probably, did they take you to Derby, Connecticut? I don't know where because I went. Char <laughs> because Charlton Comics, um, they had a, they, they, the credit in the comics was A Machine, A period uh, machine, a machine, letter by A Machine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it, what it was, in fact, I'm, I'm involved with some people who were doing a documentary about Charlton Comics. Okay. And we were at, in Derby, Connecticut, where they were headquartered, and we were talking, giving a talk at the library and showing some clips. And uh, there were several people who had worked there, which was great. Mm -hmm. But one woman stood up and said, um, um, I used to work the, the, the giant typewriter. I was like, oh, my God, you're a machine. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, those were, there was, I think, an Italian uh, brand of typewriter that made this extra wide plant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember going there, and everybody from the lettering department was having puppies at the time but it didn't it just didn't work it for them awful. it lost the whole feeling it, because you were so used to seeing that and dc it, always had great letters i mean you yes. know you had you had uh, uh, you know uh, uh, ben oda and and uh, you know um, i think walter was it? walter yeah. Yeah. yeah i think he was a letter um, too you know they uh, had um, such phenomenal people gaspar Gaspar Saladino. Gaspar Saladino, one of the greatest letterers of all time. Yeah, you know, he was the he was the Todd Klein of his day, um, and I think Todd would be uh, uh, you know humbled by that comparison. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was just a, an amazing an amazing letterer. Yes, I think Gaspar, if I'm not mistaken, did my wedding. Oh uh, yeah, he did the place sitting. So you know the the, the tablecloths. Yeah. Very, that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, that just shows you it was a small shop and they were family they acted like family they were spoiled, spoiled children jealous children yeah. they were family and it was a nice closed shop and there were maybe 30-35 people on staff at the time I mean now when I was at DC in, uh, uh, I left in 2006 and there were probably 350 people, you know, across yeah. five floors in, in this building. Which building was it? The Rockefeller Center building? I started at, uh, at 75 Rock. Yeah. But uh, this was later on at the last place in the city on 1300, uh, 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 1300, um, uh, 1700, 1700. Hmm. Sold for 1700. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, we were right across from the Letterman Theater. Uh-huh. I took that little boy over there with the beard to, uh, after he was about four or five years old, I took him to the place on 909, yeah. not 909, 75, 75 Rock, to, and it was a, a huge, a, a Jeanette 
Jeanette, yeah. She was, or was it? She started in 76. Yeah. 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 A little bit later, I took him. And uh, Saul showed me around because he was now the head of, was he head of production? Or? He was head of, he was, um, by then he was like, you know, vice president or president. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. He showed me around. He was, he treated me like I was a daughter. He, that's, that's the relationship people had at the time. Saul, Saul was a, a taskmaster. On the other hand, he also was a, a very generous, charitable man. He, um, he was in on the, origin, on the founding of the um, uh, Special Olympics. He had uh, grandchildren who, who were challenged. And so he helped build that up. Uh, he did a lot of, a lot of he charitable did. work. He had a, a son. A lot of tzedakah. He had a son who was born with a brain injury yeah. and uh, he I remember this he, he had, was the head of the brain damaged foundation I don't know if that morphed into something else but we all went to um, a charity event in that honor and the, the DC bought a whole table and, you know it, that's the, the nature of, of the you know relationships in the company and he was so, so nice. I, when I was taking a vacation to London, he wanted me to interview, uh, oh God, now I can't think of her name. She was uh, Patricia Neal, because she had just had a bad stroke and she was suffering, uh, trying to get herself back. And he wanted me to go there and interview her uh, and get her thoughts and, uh, Unfortunately, it didn't work out for me, but I will never, never forget the lengths that that man went yeah. to to help people, really. Yeah, it, uh, I, I miss that. It, it's, again, when I started growing up around uh, in the early 70s and first started writing for them in 75, that was also at, uh, at 75 rounds. Yes, yes. And it was just a very different atmosphere. It was just... Um, it was before. Yeah, I always describe the difference between Marvel and DC as um, Marvel looks like a comic book company, and DC looks like an insurance company with cooler stuff on the walls. Well, you know, I, I agree with you. When, but when I worked there, it really was not sophisticated in the sense that right. there were majestic offices. Mister Mister Leibowitz, who was the president of the company, he had this great office. Mister Donenfeld had a little bit smaller office. And incidentally, you you think DC stands for Detective Comics? It doesn't. It stands for Donenfeld Comics. <laughs> That's what Mr. Donenfeld used I to say. I do not doubt that in the least. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I forget my train of thought. It's so okay. No, this is just let it wander. These are great. This mm. is, you know, these... You were around some, you know, some amazing people at an amazing time in their careers. Right. I, the, the 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 middle '60s was kind of the you know the, the the reawakening of comic books. The Batman TV show, right? Um, Broadway, and, and, you know, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman went right. up on Broadway uh, a year later, right? Um, you know, so there was like this, and TV. There was even a couple of TV shows. There was Batman that yeah. came out, which was tremendous. Yeah. And so that had an effect on the comics. I mean, back then, a successful, you know, they were talking about canceling detective comics, I think, it, you know, because it was, fell under 500,000 copies. Now, you know, 
if you fall under ten thousand, you're still okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but it saved the comic books, and it, it kind of it, it brought attention back to comics. So you know all these all these people who had kind of been, you know comics was only what twenty five years old at the time. You know they only really started thirty years old. They only really started in nineteen thirty five. Yeah. So you know it was a baby. It was a brand new industry, and and these and these were still the originators. You know these were still the guys the who created it. So and when Marvel came out with their really majestic-looking heroes, that perked up our company tremendously because they knew they were hit in the face with something. It took them a while, though. I mean, it did. The, the only person who, really, who I really saw respond in, in his work was Arnold Drake. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Arnold wrote The Doom Patrol, um, which was a very forward-thinking book for DC. Yeah. It was very much a Marvel a Marvel you know, kind of book. And yeah. um, nobody else was doing that stuff. You know, there, I think, I, I, and I heard that the executives and the editors would sit around and go, yeah, whatever, to, you know, because they were used to Marvel being the, the copycat garbage. They, re- they didn't respond to it until they realized what it, it had become, uh, which is par for the course for a lot, yeah. of, a lot of things. You don't realize it until it really hits you in the face. Yeah, they've been master of the universe so long. Right, yeah. right. When... Um, when Warner Brothers came in, uh, we suddenly got a real executive executive mm-hmm. come into the company. He was really sharp. He uh, wore really fine cut suits. Rush. Um, I don't remember his name. I remember his secretary's name because uh, Felicia Maria Minet. You're not talking about the guy who ran Warner Brothers. You're talking about somebody who... He was a, a, like an executive something that came. I remember he had, he had like graying sideburns. He was a very looked like an executive. He, I, 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 I can't remember his name, but I remember I used to describe him as looking like a really well-dressed cardboard cutout. <laughs> he did. He did, but even his secretary, Felicia, was, a, you know, really high class. Yeah. <laughs> really. Uh, I'll have to ask Paul Levitt. He'll remember. Okay. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, this is fascinating. Does uh, you know we we've been de- oh obviously there are questions from the floor. Please. I'm interested. Um, the aesthetic of the romance comic lived beyond the era of romance comics, and you had things like Lichtenstein who took panels and made fine art of them. Right. Even album covers and things with a girl with a tear and things like that. So your thoughts of how it, you know, went beyond the comics and really became part of pop culture. Uh, I think it's wonderful that it did. The artist that they took that from was Tony Abruzzo, and I can see why. I think it was a little bit uh, plagiarizing. I think it's a lot plagiarizing. I I don't know. um, I would love to have Tony's artwork only because I know how beautifully it was done and how carefully he, he loved the work. He was one person that did not like what was going on in the, in the company. He really didn't. He didn't feel comfortable with uh, getting yelled at. He was very sensitive. And he, does, you know, he was wonderful at what he did. He didn't need criticism. And believe me, I never really criticized the man because I respected. You had to respect people who were giving you such beautiful work and cared. And I think that what killed the comic books was reality setting in the war. Um, 
uh, people suddenly getting up and marching. It just was not a pretty time in the world. And uh, grateful Roy Lichtenstein. Did they ever see these products made? think, hey, we should get in on that and make, like, romance calendars? No. Rush Heath certainly believes that now. Well, sure. I Rush think you could. I think you could do something. I agree with you that something could be done. Even if he had, you know, even an after Irv Novik or after Tony Abruzzo or after, you know, just their name and, you know, a few mm -hmm. bucks from whatever he got for them to the original artist wouldn't have been bad. Yeah. But, you know, what are you going to do now? Yeah. So... But you can't, and they, they didn't do anything at the time that I know of. If you know something different, no. no, no. I, I, I don't know why they didn't. It was taken directly from his work. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of guys who resented it. I mean, you know, or, and there are some, I guess, who took pride in it, you know. I mean, but, um, yeah, it just never seemed fair to me. It, uh, but, anyway, anybody else? Come on, you can do it. <laughs> oh. I have a question. Um, because uh, I know DC got out of romance comics, and I don't think Marvel ever went into them, but why do you think Archie Comics stayed around so long filling that? Would you even call those comics romantic or more like comedies? I'm just curious if you have opinions on that. I think I used to love Archie when I was little, and I think it appeals. It doesn't take itself that seriously. You know, it's a comedy show, and the people are pretty, and they're fun. And it gives you a little laugh while, you know, they wink at you. And look what's happened to Archie now in, at Riverdale. Not the same Archie, of course, but um, life does go on, and Archie's still going on. I don't know how well are they. I have a little blame to take for that, because I wrote the first uh, Archie series that, like, it, it was still in the old-school style, mm -hmm. but it, we played it as a, it was a, 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 a what-if future, you know, might happen if he married Betty or if he married Veronica. I think that's great. And we did that series, and then, you know, when, the, when we were going to cancel it after three years, uh, they said, well, let's kill Archie. So, <laughs> so I killed Archie. But you brought him back. No, Somebody brought no, him. no. It's an alternate world, Archie. He doesn't have to come back. But, um, <laughs> that's but, true of comic books. People yeah. don't have to come back. And but they usually do. That's that's what's a problem with comics. It's like it takes the drama and suspense, mm -hmm. you know, out of the story. It's like you know, I saw the Avengers movie, and it's like every all these characters are dying, and it's like, so what? They'll be back tomorrow. You know, it's, it's not. There's no emotional impact to this stuff without any real yeah, consequences. It's true. I think things like romance comics, you know. Even though it was usually a happy ending, there yeah. was still there was still kind of you know consequences yeah. for the characters. Okay, a typical romance story back then would be a girl loves a boy, but he doesn't notice her, so she does something to herself, puts on lipstick or something, teases her hair, and becomes that kind of a girl. And that's, you know... And that and, would be the title, That Kind that of a Girl. That Kind of a Girl, or Love Never Comes Into My Heart. You know, something really soapy. And then you would want to know, she really became a tramp because she teased her hair, put on lipstick, and decided to kiss people. You can't do that anymore, right? But that was a story back then. There was another 
story, which was wonderful, about a girl who kissed a boy, and she had so many boyfriends, but each time she kissed him, she realized something went out of the romance, and then finally she kissed the right boy, and love flew in. So you can see that the plots were there, but they were limited to uh, what you could say. Now you could say she got pregnant, <laughs> you know, almost that. She Will she keep the baby? Will she give it away? I mean, do people really want it? That's so much like life. People don't want to read that anymore, right? Do you? No, you're here to escape life. I guess it is. It, the romance stories are, are life idealized. Yes, yeah. they're yeah. idealized. But I have to tell you that uh, my, my continuing dramas were not like... Uh, boy meets girl, boy kisses. They, there was a lot of stuff that happened to these ladies before they fell in love. That was the one thing that I did that was different. I had um, somebody bribe somebody. A woman was hiding the fact that she was had a daughter. And you know, well, it was Peyton Place. But it was, that was more yeah. Peytony yeah. than anything else. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's funny, you look back at the stuff that was you know, forbidden when it came out, like Peyton Place, mm -hmm. and it's like, Jesus, how lame is that? You know, right, it's, right, it's, right. It's, the book holds up. I just ran a class on the book, and she's the most underrated female writer in the American century. Really? Don't go by it. If you've not read the book and you've only seen the series or the movie, she was a phenomenal writer who wrote Small Town America like... Like in okay. like Winsburg, Ohio. Uh -huh. You've never read the book. I haven't read it since I, I college. I'm guilty. So. I haven't read it at all. I only go to the movies. <laughs> but <laughs> I will. <laughs> but I will. I will definitely read that. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Were your continuing stories? Um, were they in one book, or was it over several months? No, it was over several months, which so. was. Oh, <laughs> I wanted to show you. It was over several months. <laughs> They continued, they continued. They finally got ended when, um, I think when uh, Carmine took over, they were ended maybe six or seven stories. But they went on for quite a while. There were two different versions of them. And I just want to point out something, a Saul Harrison thing. You see over here there's a checkerboard on top. The go-go checks. Yeah, the go-go checks. This one doesn't have it. Saul would go into a store, look at magazines, and realize they had something there that would strike you so that you knew that that was Glamour magazine or you knew that was Vogue magazine. So he's the one who came up with the checkerboard on that. <laughs> did you know that? I, I, I did. Um, mm -hmm. I did. It, was, it, was, uh, it didn't last very long. No, it didn't. A few, a few months. And, and it's been entertaining since. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Anybody else? Excuse me, what was that sign? Oh, 10 minutes, okay. Um, anybody else? Yes. A file. Do you think it's hard to keep romantic stories fresh? Because I'm thinking, like, obviously there's not comic stories, but a, a something like Hallmark Channel will crank out all these stories and they, they tend to get repetitive, especially over time. Do you think it's a, a challenge to come up with new ideas or... I don't think I don't think the people who who watch and read that stuff want new ideas. The answer um, is yes. I think my, my mother could read 
she she would subscribe to these Harlequin book clubs, these romance novels, and she would get you know like twelve of them a week. She'd read two or three a day. She'd just sit there and you know read these things, and they were you know the covers were different, and I'd flip through them, and it's like, Mom, what do you read? Yeah, whatever she read, she read. But you know, it was just they were all the same, and that's what she liked. And you know, when you look at a Hallmark thing, it's like, yeah, that's look. Every story is boy meets girl. It could be boy meets atomic bomb. It could be boy meets you know villain, but really mm-hmm. every story breaks down to that essential plot. Yeah. So you know, so there's always ways to keep it fresh. Depends on what your audience wants. There was a successful comic book about ten years ago that was a romance book. It was called Blankets. Craig Thompson. Oh yeah. And it really yeah you know and, and I mean and he had a more independent art style. It wasn't that beautiful girl art style of the books of your era. But, yeah. Um, it, it did well, and I think now it's more about personal stories. And I know that was actually a big thing when, did Simon and Kirby kind of invent the romance comic back yep. in the 40s? Mm-hmm. Well, there were a lot of them, and they were sort of morphed into that. There were different uh, weren't there different titles? Well, there were a lot of them, but uh, uh, with, uh, I don't remember if it was Crestwood or whatever. Yeah, yeah it was the, uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby uh, mm. became publishers, and they, were the, they published the first dedicated romance comics. Yeah. And uh, within about six months, everybody was doing romance comics because they were selling, they sold a couple of million copies. Yeah. And there were, there were within, I think, two or three years, there were about 150 romance titles on the stands. Um, when I got there, DC had five. That's it. Wow. And by the way, I I, um, uh, I I helped kill romance comics because I had stories in the I had two stories in the last issue of Young Love that DC published. So. What were the other titles? Young Love, Secret Love, Falling Love, Love, Secret uh, Love, Heart, Heart, Was Heart Throb? Yes, Heart Girls' Romances, which was mine. Girls' Romances. See the cover? Mm-hmm. Recognize that cover? And Girls several of these were inherited, uh, were, were taken over from like quality. Yes. Um, or, you know, the numbering continued. Yes, Same with GI Combat was another one. That- would, they, would they ever use the inventory of the way they did with quality? Interesting. Listen to this. Please. When I got to work at DC, Erwin Donenfeld, who was the vice president, uh, said to me, here are all these old pictures and, you know, boards, storyboards with ancient pictures. And they were ancient pictures. I think they were done during the 40s and 50s. He said, you have to rewrite all of these and make them a different story. So, yes. Then he had the art department cut the skirts. You know, but they were still old, you know. And they also did that with uh, with some of the humor stuff. I think they did it with Windy and... Uh, um, they did it with my stuff because it went into other things. So they do Dobie it. Gillis became Windy and Willie or something like that. And they, they redid the hairstyles and, yes. and the clothing. Right, right, um, right. They, they hired somebody. They paid them a very minimal amount yeah. to do that because they paid me a very minimal amount. Well, you know, back then... It was minimal amount. I mean, publishing to begin with, you know, you didn't go into publishing ever to get rich, and you didn't go into comic book publishing to even have an apartment of your own. Um, May I say something (laughs) about that? When I was working there for a while, and I was, you know, Mr. Donenfeld was the one who I had to deal with, 
I went into his office and I said, I'd like to have a raise. And he looked at me, he said, Barbara, you don't have a family, you don't have a children, you live with your mother. You, you know, but this was not only to me. This was in any organization where there was a female who lived, you know, minimally with their mother or with whatever. And he, he didn't give me a raise, he wouldn't. But he, he gave me a little bit of a raise on my, uh, my pages that I turned in. But in those days, you know, I mean, uh, when I started in 1975, my page rate at DC was $15. <laughs> Did you ever want to get into paperback romance after your experience in college? You know something? I had no idea what I wanted to get into. <laughs> I wish um, I had kept up contacts. I, I did with uh, some people. I'm going to show you this. Up your nose and out your ear. There were only two of these. Okay. There were only two of these that were published by uh, Orlando. Not Orlando. Rosandro and Mike Esposito. And I wrote um, Thelma of the Apes and something else. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, yes, I did want to do it, but I was also uh, raising children at the time. And I was very stupid. That's all. I didn't know if I could do both. And of course, you can do anything you want, ladies in the audience and men too. Yes. Do you want to ask a question? Where are the children? Well, they're the children. Oh. Over there. Those are my so grandchildren. So you're the one who held her back. Well, no, there's another one. The third one is the one with the icing on the cake. Are there any other questions? Any other questions? Yes. If you would like to look at this lookbook. You certainly may. It's the stuff that I did. I don't know if you... This is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But there was there were earlier ads that mm -hmm. had been uh, yeah. appearing, supposedly appearing yeah. in showcase. This just is my lookbook, which I put together and thought you might be interested in. So Absolutely. Um, please feel free to come and look at it. And uh, I have some of the comic books that we spoke of here if you want to look at those. And you'll also be at a table uh, in, the, um, in, in, in the dealers or in the artist alley, I, I assume? I don't know you, about that. Oh, okay. I assume you... Uh, I have to go back uh, to do an interview with somebody, but certainly I will be there for anybody that wants to see me. And we also can look forward to an interview coming up with you in Alter Ego. Uh, mm -hmm. I was talking to Roy Thomas before, and he mentioned that uh, yeah. he's very excited about that upcoming interview with you. So. Yes. Yes. Well, um, I also uh, may I just say, I also did an interview for Sequential Crush. I don't know if you know what that is, because I didn't. But uh, it, there's other stuff in that too, which you might be. That's um, no doubt. No doubt. Yes, uh, Marty Nodell's granddaughter um, has. Mm -hmm. uh, she's a, 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 a romance comics expert and aficionado. She recently published a book. Uh, She's yeah. publishing a book. I think that interview is going to be in her book. She asked me. I said yes. But if it hadn't been for the picture on my back that my daughter found and gave to me, I would not have uh, really Googled myself. 
<laughs> found out what I did because I thought that was a dead issue. Nothing ever dies on the internet. Well, we ran into each other about 15, yes. 16 years ago in, in a, at a antique uh, show. At an antique show, mm-hmm. and happened to start talking. And um, I, you know, I, I, as I recall, I pretty much you said I wouldn't know who you were. Right. And I said, I well, I know you're not. Dor- I, I, I said, I know you're not Dorothy Wolfolk. Right. So right. you must be Barbara Friedland. Right. Right. Uh, so, and you're, did you know Dorothy? You ever know Dorothy? No. no. No, but I can tell you that the during the war, or after slightly after the war, Zena Brody, Zena Brody was yes. the lady who was uh, one of the editors of. Uh, there's a guy holding up that song. One of the editors of uh, the woman's book. So I really was not the first, and I hope I won't be the last. You're not. There have been many, many, many who have followed you uh, since. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But it's good to be a brown breaker. Absolutely. And thank you very much. This has been great. Um, Thank you. And thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed this very, very much. And you didn't scare me at all. Tremendous conversation between Paul Kupperberg and Barbara Freelander. I hope you enjoyed today's romance literature class at Word Balloon uh, 101 and uh, enjoy today's episode. It was all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Again, thank you, League, for your support. If you'd like to help the cause here at Word Balloon and subscribe, you can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or go to wordballoon.com. Thank you very much, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. And there's some really great uh, romance comics that are available at InStock Trades. I didn't mention a weird love hardcover, Jailbird Romance. Jim Mooney among the artists uh, in this one. And uh, there's an introduction by Heidi McDonald, but it's pretty crazy stuff. Uh, some of the stories, Jailbird Romance, Never Love a Man with a Harem, Hobo Girl. I think I saw that movie. Innocence Was My Ankle. Backworlds uh, Romance, and I Tortured My In-Laws. Good stuff. And, man, Jim Mooney, you know, great Superman artist, Supergirl artist, and uh, Spider-Man artist as well. But, uh, again, uh, watch him uh, in his romantic element. I'm telling you, man, Vinny Coletta, some of these other uh, artists that are known for superhero stuff, John Romita Sr., an amazing romance artist. But uh, to get Weird Love, it's uh, 30% off, $20.99. Reach back for Simon and Kirby's first romance comics. You can get volumes one and two of Young Romance, the best of Simon and Kirby comics. It's 30% off, $20.99 for either volume one or volume two. And then let's see, what else can we find? There's, again, Wally Wood's Torrid Romance. Uh, That is 50% off, $19.97. Some of the great books that are available at InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon, and uh, thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, for the support. Uh, Word Balloon 101 will continue through the Labor Day weekend. I've got more uh, things to uh, post from Terrificon, and uh, I can't wait to share them with you. That'll be coming up at the end of the week. So uh, have a good one. Enjoy your holiday if you're already in that Labor Day week spirit or, uh, you know, your last uh, final days of summer before school lets, uh, kicks in. Uh, happy to uh, join you and hope you're enjoying these conversations from Terrificon and other wonderful guests here at Word Balloon. Thanks for listening. Talk to you in a few days. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2018.